Okay, so we're sitting down now to talk about PPC for car dealers, digital advertising for car dealers. And I know we've we've had individuals on in the past, but this is going to be a, an extremely uh, I think different spin because we're going to we're going to really dig into some of the unique facets of of PPC and advertising your dealership that perhaps you haven't even thought about before and no person better to join me on the show to talk about this than Mark Irvine from Wordstream. He's the senior data scientist there. Mark, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. So excited. This is going to be fun. Um, tell, tell me a little bit. I mean, because there, there's certain things, there's certain buzz phrases and buzz words and buzz titles that kind of sweep sweep through the industries um you know first it started with the word content everybody was like oh yeah you must have content and uh, and the next yeah i i hear content is thing and then you get the next guy that's like content isn't king eyeballs are king and and everybody says eyeballs for a year and then and you know and it's kind of migrated that way it's like seo and then it was like oh no not not just seo technical seo and oh tech oh my god and then local seo you know and 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 you know, now we're in this phase of, um, if I don't say something like artificial intelligence or machine learning every 72 seconds, then what I'm saying must not be relevant. And, and I would almost throw into there this, this new title, this new, um, position that so many businesses are, are starting to adopt data science, data scientists. So mm-hmm. l- let me ask you this. What, what is, what does that mean? And, and why is that something we need to be paying attention to as things progress here into the future? Absolutely. And it's one of those things that like genuinely a decade ago when I got out of college, there wasn't a, a title called data science or when we would talk about data science, it meant a very specific thing at the time. Right. It's evolved a whole lot over, over this to the point that like, if you want to talk about like, want to break it down into like technical data scientists or data architecture or, or algorithmic scientist or whatever path you want to go. Yeah. There, there's a thousand ways that one can play that. But but for the purposes of what I do, um, every single advertiser, you go in, you go into your account, you see a whole bunch of numbers, right? Um, and there are a lot of numbers that you can see or that are in front of your face or you could go digging for. And there are some numbers that are in the back end of uh, an API or something like that as well. And that's really great that you could go in and hypothetically view all of these numbers in your individual account. Where I kind of sit as a data scientist is I'm not at WordStream. I'm not managing one advertising account. I'm managing 22,000 advertiser accounts. So every single day, those individual advertisers are going in, they're making changes, they're changing their ads, they're changing their keywords, their bids, uh, they're targeting, what have you. And I'm able to go in individually and see what's successful, what's failing with all those experiments. But from an aggregate, I can begin to peer across trends of what 22,000 advertisers are doing, see exactly what advertisers are doing, what their focus is, and also, is that focus long-term successful? And is that is what was working five years in the industry still working today in 2018 so it's a it's definitely an exciting role right um 
it gives me a lot of perspective on a larger view that you can't really see outside of like working at Google or or Facebook or another one of these large platforms, you know? Yeah. Well, because you're able to kind of see cross platform, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. And, okay, and now I'm curious, 22,000, not a small number. Um, yeah. I mean, population of a small city. Um, yeah. What percentage of those would you say, and, and just kind of spitballing, what, what percentage of those would you say are actually just knocking it out of the park and which ones are just kind of floating by? Sure. Um, I would say that like within any random sample of our clients, like 15% are, are doing things that I wouldn't have expected a year ago. Um, but then, you know, probably that bottom 20% mm-hmm. struggle. Um, they're, they're sitting around, they're, they're not active in their accounts. Mm-hmm. I see that they're not active in their accounts. And then what happens when you're not active is you get the same results that you got yesterday. They're kind of just anything today. and forget. Yeah, if you don't change anything today, you're not going to expect anything better tomorrow. And that's the the big frustration when you start talking about WordStream, of course, being a platform for helping people manage their accounts. Mm-hmm. Well, we're failing as a platform often if people aren't going in and doing anything in their accounts. Right. So we try and think of like strategic ways to intervene or what do we do on behalf of their advertising and say, hey, we changed this for you. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than having them do it for themselves. Right. And you, so you said, and, and I'm intrigued. So there's this other percentage you, you had just mentioned that, um, their accounts are doing things now that you, you totally didn't expect a year ago. Is that, is that in part to things that they've tweaked or is that adapt? Did, did the trends of the market change? Did like what, what contributes to something like that? Yeah. I think that a lot of times, advertisers once they get over like they hit an aha moment mm-hmm. and then once they get over that initial hump they they take it and they run with it so one of the things that like often I'll, I'll talk to a client and then i might not talk to that client for another quarter or a year and they'll say like hey i took this piece of advice you gave me and then i found success with it and i basically like did it tenfold, a hundredfold, and and I really ran with it. So I might say something to the fact of like, hey, you're writing this ad for this particular for this particular audience. Consider let's say you're writing this ad for for um I'll go right into a color car dealership dealer. Um you might be writing this ad assuming that they know what they want or assuming that they want financing, but what they might want is you might want to write a different ad for a parent. And thinking of like what parents are looking for when they're buying a car versus a not parent mm-hmm. and writing a slightly different ad, targeting your ad slightly differently for them and, and going with it. And then like they'll come back a couple of years or they'll come back a month or two months later, a year later, and they'll say like, hey, did that really successful? And they started writing different ads for men and women. I did different ads for different uh, geos and different incomes. And from there, like people take that small little push take that aha moment, scale it out. And then like the things that they're, they're doing are honestly way smarter than what I came up with originally. It's funny because I I feel like we went through this phase of, um, Oh man, now you can advertise online, you know, start with the like one penny Yahoo ads Mm -hmm. or whatever it was back in the day. And everyone was like, Oh my goodness, robots are, 
you know, able to do all this and that kind of a, we, we adopted the set and forget, you don't realize how much work it actually takes to set up new, new campaigns. And I think that probably contributes to why so many people just create one kind of broad, you know, something that I can just toss out and hopefully it resonates with everybody. But you're saying, no, you, you have to actually, um, t- time tested, proven and, and true. You, you have to, really pay attention to your audience and give specific offers or specific messaging that's going to resonate with them or else your ads are just going to blow chunks. Absolutely. It's one of those things like completely parallel industry. People are talking about like the, the rise of automation and digital, right? And so everyone's like, well, we don't even need to allocate time or effort to doing this because it's all going to be automated Yeah. or like we'll, we'll all lose our jobs even. Um, completely parallel example remember like atms in the 80s how those were going to put everyone out of business in the finance industry and that that industry was going to collapse because now robots can do this job yeah well that and you you remember how just like a year ago everyone was like i'm so mad at mcdonald's because like they're putting those like (laughs) these are my bad impressions of people that complain apparently i have a certain persona for negative people but (laughs) you know they're like hey i'm gonna those robots where you you can order now and they take your order and blah 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 blah. well those are widespread now and i'm seeing still as many employees inside of a walmart than i've ever seen (laughs) oh yeah because the ATM had people allowed people to focus on more strategic finance roles rather than the mundane. Right. The cashiers are now that automatic cashier is now opening up a lot more scale in terms of how this this restaurant can serve people, and that means more people in the back of house making food. Um, same kind of idea with as digital advertising becomes more automated. Maybe I don't have to go in and write spend my days writing keywords or or writing out individual ads every single day. But that strategic bit of how I service my customer or how I service that prospective customer actually becomes increasingly important because robots can't do that. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what? This brings up a good point because I feel like one thing that we need to be aware of uh, is the tool will never do it all for you. No, the, the tool is never going to do anything. And so when you're vetting a new tool or you're vetting a new company, you need to be cautious of, hey, like, I know they're positioning this to make it sound like it's going to solve all of my problems. But the reality of it is it's going to solve a couple of problems. And it's my job, the one that's investigating to determine whether or not like, or, or which of the problems it's going to solve and not buy into the jibber jabber of of you know, all of the fluff that they might be adding in in their sales pitch or in their marketing pitch to get me to, to fall in love with that product Mm -hmm. and just understand, Hey, like, like you said, Hey, you you know, something like WordStream, it's like, Hey, you know what? Sorry guys. WordStream is not going to make breakfast for you in the morning. So stop, stop expecting it to, but it's going to allow you to do certain things. And those things are then to, to your point are going to allow you to focus your time, energy, and talents on where they're truly valuable so that you can scale out. Exactly. Beautiful. I should have you sell this. Uh, well, uh, this is, Hey, you're the one doing that. I'm just recapping my understanding of <laughs> what you're saying. So no, you, you no, definitely not. Um, well, because you know what, that's kind of a widespread 
challenge, right? I mean, I, my company, I, I operate an agency and, and every day when we're hopping on calls with new prospective clients, um, it's usually on the back of them being war torn and tattered with some other provider or agency or vendor or whatever you want to call it who's promised and listeners of the show for a while hear me say this all the time promised to lasso the sun the moon and the stars for them of course. and and realize holy crap you know we we had one recently that said something along the lines of well this was actually hilarious because they they left my company to go work with another and we were sad about that because we really try and build relationships of trust with our with our partners um they went for three months and then came back and I said, you know, if you don't mind me asking what, what's going on. And the, the report back to me was we thought we were buying a Tundra, but we ended up getting a Corolla instead. And, and so I think, you know, it, it's incumbent upon that individual, whoever's vetting a new company, a new tool, a new, whatever it is, they need to understand what role it plays. If they're going to, you know, play in the sphere of, of, uh, you know, marketing automation or, or ads automation, they need to actually truly understand how that fits into their ecosystem and not how they can fit into the ecosystem of the product. Yeah, exactly. That like at the end of the day, even if, even if I create the perfect paid search workflow tool, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean anything if like, I'm not the one who understands your business Um, and your business is, different than other businesses that are similar to yours. So even as we begin, like if you want to start talking data science, like if I were to create an algorithm for what a perfect car dealership account looks like, mm-hmm. well, your car dealership might only have certain makes, certain models. It has different inventories than others and different price points, different sensitivities in your particular uh, location than other people. And you, the way that you sell customers that come onto your lot is so different than the way that other people might sell customers that come onto their lot. And those are insights that I'm not going to be able to get just from a, a digital overview alone. Mm. So it's really important. Definitely have trust, get trust from um, those subject matter experts, be they marketing, be they sales, be they whatever. But at the end of the day, it's your, it's your neck that's on the line for a, to close the steel and you're going to understand your business way better. So um, definitely work. I, I, I'm all about empowering that individual to, to own their account or to own their particular stake in the business as much as they can. Uh, do you find, I mean, in, in the variety of industries that you uh, are able to see into um, tell me, I mean, when, when it comes to automotive, when it comes to this concept of retail selling of vehicles, whether it's cars or motorcycles or RVs, there's this concept where it's like, okay, well, what's your objective? What do you want to do here? I want to sell more. Yeah. But I mean, like what, you know, and it's always kind of that macro high level, like, no, the only thing I care about is sell more. Is that, do you feel like, does that contribute to perhaps failure when doing things like PPC? Because it's like, I'm only going for the macro, you know, sure. and, and I'm not paying attention to all of the steps that 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 uh, it takes to actually get to that final event. And I think that's exactly the the big thing, particularly when we will segue into this conversation about paid search now. Um, 
you're advertising for a car dealership, you really can like if you go to Google, if you go to Bing, Facebook, an agency, wherever you go, they'll let you put your ads as as high as the sun, moon, and stars. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be at the very top of the SERP or show an ad anytime someone searches for new cars, used cars, cars, um, there's no one that's going to stop you from doing that. And quite frankly, as long as your money is green, we'll allow you to chase <laughs> the stars there. Um, a lot of agencies will all too happily take that and you'll get traffic to your site. You'll spend money. Does that become sales? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, but for most of us, most of us don't have the the budget don't can't play in that that car gurus um right. cars.com kind of space right so as we begin to talk about like a dealership and a local dealership sure i hope that you've got uh, a medium sized budget but a lot of us might be looking at a couple of thousand dollars a month to play around with on on google on bing on facebook wherever that is so a lot of this becomes a little bit more strategic in terms of I can't necessarily get you everything, but I can get you the best for your buck. And so that begins that conversation of whether or not we're we're going for the search term used cars, or if we're going for Nissan, or a more specific like Nissan Frontier, or a very specific like model like the Nissan NV200. Right. That although those are all those are still each one particular search, those latter searches, someone who is searching for a Nissan NV200, well, they've likely gone out, they've done research, they've seen ads. All of this means down, like means that like, hey, this person who's searching for a very specific make and model is wholly different than someone who's probably at the very top of the funnel searching for this particular just searching for cars. Yeah, I mean, the last time I looked, it was like Google's Think Insights or whatever it is that they publish. And they, something like 24, is either 24 or 26 different touch points that a consumer takes in their path to purchasing a vehicle. Exactly. And we're always and, going for, no, Facebook to website to why aren't they filling out the lead submission form? Right. And so I think that uh, that that's like the, the hugest point from like a, a dealership model is, the last time that I bought a car, it took me about six months to buy that car. Mm. And over that time, I, I looked at so many different points along the way. I'm also part of that is uh, I'm recently married. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned the fact that I could never possibly make my own decisions ever again. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, congratulations um, and welcome to th- the club. <laughs> thank you. Um, but that's so but that's so many of us and that's so many of your customers that like even if even if i'm searching for the exact thing that i want i know i want it i know i have the money for it yeah i might not be prepared to do that today right and so that might be again that second that third that 18th search that is the time that i'm ultimately looking to to make that purchase so rather than thinking about necessary, we used to have this big focus, like the number one certain thing people would ask me, particularly car dealerships, would be like, what keywords should be bidding on? And in all honesty, most of us today 
know the keywords that we should be bidding on, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's more about not the keywords. The keywords aren't the thing that's going to buy your car. It's the people. So how do we begin to re-engage with people who are searching for us? And so there are a lot of tactics, particularly in that example of someone who is making multiple searches for your car. They might be to your website several times. How do you re-engage those people who have been to your website in the past? And you, we can actually target those particular people with a remarketing across the display network, across Facebook, or with remarketing lists for search ads and serve someone who's been to our site twice three times, purchase from us in the past, fill it out a form from us in the past, um, someone who we have their email address for, whatever, we can serve them a different ad or we could bid differently for them or we could be on different keywords for them knowing that someone who is now searching for, for financing for this after they filled out a form, well, now I can keep my brand particular at the very top of the page for this person who I know isn't just searching willy-nilly for a car that they clearly have the intent and have intent with my brand yeah makes makes total sense so okay so on that um and it doesn't even necessarily have to be automotive if you have an example in automotive cool if not whatever um what are you seeing as do you have any examples of i guess retargeting or or messages that keep you in front of the customer that have really worked well because I feel like right now retargeting in automotive or trying to stay top of mind is cool. They pick up Pixel. Now they go to Google or they go to Facebook and they see that vehicle that they were looking at following them around mm-hmm. with no with no real certainty that that was the actual vehicle they were interested in. I mean, th- there's been plenty of times. Amazon's a perfect example. Right. Um, I was on Amazon the other night curious about how they're, you know, I have a buddy that's like, yeah, we buy all of our toilet paper and all of our baby diapers and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to go see what they actually have on there just out of curiosity. Well, for crying out loud, now I got diapers following me around on, on Facebook and, and all over the place. So right. how do you, how do you do this? Is there a, a more clever way of doing this or more creative way of doing this so that it's actually, like you said, re-engaging a customer? Yeah. Um, I think that when people think of remarketing, they think of that specific example of, hey, I was looking at this, just looking, wasn't necessarily interested in browsing for it, and now I see it everywhere, and now I'm down on this type of ad, right? If done appreciably more subtly, remarketing is like a really powerful tool. And I'll actually I'll share the secret sauce. Um, the way that WordStream actually gets customers in is we get a lot of people to our site um, via SEO, via content, via however. And then we we tag you accordingly. We do have those types of remarketing ads. But as you continuously come back to our site and you start searching for, um, then you go to Google and you search for AdWords help or for paid search help. Well, now as you're actually searching for that product, that's when we give you an ad closer towards the top of the page. Mm. So whereas we would typically advertise on those keywords for that audience of people who have been to our site, now we bid up appreciably higher. 
And we also um, cater our messages a little bit more differently to them. So where we're particularly in the B2B space, as you might imagine, but someone who is searching, you know, at their desktop three o'clock on a Wednesday, we're going to tell you about like all the all the great money you could be saving, right? About how if you used our tool, you'd save all this money in your paid search. Someone who's been to our site, maybe filled out a form, they're in our lead, uh, they're in our Salesforce. They later search, you know, Friday at 10 p.m. Well, all of a sudden that search from your home computer Friday at 10 p.m., if you're still searching for Google AdWords at 10 p.m. on Friday, all of a sudden it's very likely that you don't really need money savings as much, but you know, time savings could be the big uh, value prop to sell you at that moment in time. And just by changing out those those messages when people are searching for you, that's kind of like the the bigger thing that I'm seeing people really be successful with. So de- <laughs> definitely don't run an ad on Friday at 10 p.m. to that individual that says, you don't have any friends either, huh? Like, right. <laughs> Because there's only a few buckets that you're going to fit into if you're searching for AdWords at 10 p.m. on a Friday. Yeah. (laughs) We've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. Oh, I know because I'm in one of those buckets. (laughs) Oh, that's that's hilarious. And so you are are you taking advantage of like you mentioned Salesforce and my 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 light bulb immediately went off. Are you guys taking advantage of all of the like intelligence features in Salesforce to kind of help you? Um, uh, you know, I, I guess categorize people the right way and then send triggers out to, uh, ads or is it all done manually? Yeah. So we're using the, that's, that's exactly it. We have, not only do we have that, but we have like a lead score. So someone who fills out a form is different than someone who begins a free trial, right? Mm. Similarly with like your website, someone who applies for financing is way further along in the funnel than someone who you know, downloads a a brochure or clicks on the locations page or just begins browsing. Right. So if you have, if you have a CRM, I I love Salesforce for that integration with everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But Oracle, Marketo, whatever kind of CRM you're using to, to keep track of these leads that come through your website or through print or wherever, even if it's not your website, like even if it's, if you're successful with direct mail and you're getting people through direct mail and you're getting their contact info through direct mail, mm-hmm. great. Happy to continue to collect that contact info. You pair that back to Google AdWords or you pair that back into Facebook. And now you have this very concentrated list of, all right, here's everyone who's been to my site and has been prospecting me. Here's everyone who's purchased from me in the past here's some leads that are, are, are cold lost leads. Maybe I still keep them around in case they begin searching for another car later on. Mm-hmm. But like you now have these separate lists effectively that you can change around your digital, digital messages for. So someone who has purchased from you in the past, well, it's really easy to keep those loyal customers loyal. So long as when they, uh, when they start searching for you again, you're there at the top of the SERP. Mm. How big is the, um, cause this is something, right? You, you know, most dealerships, yeah. the dynamic there, they're going to have maybe if they're lucky, one or two individuals in store who are focused on the marketing, 
looking at your organization as kind of an example of someone that can do a lot of inbound and then, you, you know, turn that into different, you, you know, you've got your inbound funnels and then you turn that into different types of remarketing or re-engaging um, ad campaigns. How many people are devoted to the marketing of, of WordStream? Uh, I mean, that's, I, you don't, you don't have to say the exact number, but it, no, no, no. It, it, I'm literally trying to think. Um, I, I will say that for certain we have one person managing all of our, our paid media and then we've got like a handful of people out there doing, doing more, more of that nurture stuff. So if you talk about like webinars and, yeah. and email outreach, all of that right. stuff. Um, also when you have 22,000 customers, yeah. you have a, a customer marketing team Yeah, now, right. so that you can engage your existing customers. So all said and done, I want to say that that's probably close to like seven or eight people. Okay. So the, the reason I ask, right, is because one person, cool. But when you have seven or eight people that are coming together to, to learn how to, to, that are learning from each other, like, Hey, I did a webinar and here was the feedback. Oh, cool. You know, somebody else takes that and says, cool, we can come up with that. Or maybe we can write a blog post that's going to, going to, you know, fill in the blanks. And then we're going to, do you guys advertise your blog posts? Like, do you do any of that kind of stuff? We, we will occasionally that we will have um, like a, a content push. So we have like a content marketer. And then like if something is particularly attractive to, to people, we'll push it out a little bit wider. So if we have um, we see that people who view this page about if we had a page about like best car dealership tips. Right. Right. We might take that page see the fact like, hey, people who read this then come back and they begin a trial. They become customers. Let's see if we can get this in the hands of more car dealership owners, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the reason I ask, right, is I'm trying to kind of shape some perspective for those listening because I feel like, you know, there's too much of this idea that you just flip the switch on and, and away you go. But it, I, I mean, you guys have spent what, what sounds like a, a good amount of time theorizing and coming up with your thesis and, and testing and, eventually finding this process that you now follow that that seems to be working extremely well. And I think, you know, just too often we, we get impatient, anything digital and we're like, Oh, I'm impatient. Right. It, you know, um, no, exactly. You guys are spending a ton of time on this stuff. It's a lot of, it's a big focus for you guys. But like, I think one of the, the big things is that even like if you're sitting down and you're trying to do digital 40 hours a week, you're going to get burnt down in those kind of semantic <laughs> details, right? Right. right. That you're going to have to like, well, this keyword versus this keyword and like, murmur, nah, nah. yeah. It, what I think a lot of small businesses actually exceed on and where they can outperform a lot of these bigger marketing departments is that they do at some point in their day, stop doing marketing and they go talk to people who are not marketers. Mm. And you can now have this perspective on, well, what is like in marketing, we call those like who we're reaching as like personas. And in life, you call those people, right? <laughs> um, so you can go back and you can have this conversation of like, hey, I just got off the phone with um, Janelle and she's a great customer. And here's here was how she found us. Here's the struggle she had in the marketplace. And how how she found us and why she chose us 
and that might not be something that you've seen previously. Um, I have a I have a client. They sell shampoo, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about like what that persona is, like when you talk about every shampoo ad you've ever seen online, and it's this woman in the shower and she's hair head back in the shower, living her best life, right? <laughs> um, we go in, we actually look at some data in Google Analytics, and like this is me as a as a guy who is not that person. We go and we go on their website. We see the fact that, yeah, that most of the people who are buying this shampoo are women, but 15% of their sales came from men. Men took three times as long to buy the set the shampoo, but when they did, they bought a like twice as much of it. Yeah. And so a lot of that was um, like men buying shampoo for their girlfriends or their wives. And so they, they make a bigger purchase when they make that purchase. But all of a sudden, like that's a different audience that thinking about thinking about that persona you miss. Right. And like just honestly taking that step back and and who is possibly buying my my product is is a question that we're we're often make the assumption of and then we're missing the mark a lot. Yeah, no, per- perfect point. So how much you you know cuz this is always I love this stuff. It's it's not the fun stuff, right? Coming up with personas, looking at CRM data, talking to customers to find out, you know, you know, really who they are and getting to know them so that you can craft messaging. Not fun stuff, but I mean, is this an ongoing thing or is this just something you did once you throw into your marketing plan and away you go? It's definitely an ongoing thing. Uh, love it or hate it. But I think that one of the big things is that people are going to, what I love to do is I love talking to the business owner or like that C-suite executive and asking them for that persona and seeing exactly how that that person, that head of the business would describe their persona and then go back, take their insight, listen to them, but then go back and try and challenge it. Like test that theory. Like go in and see in your CRM well, if you're you're describing your entire audience as, let's say we'll take minivans. We think of minivans as like just this like mom vehicle, it's right? The Bradley Assault vehicle is what that is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so if we we're thinking that like only like soccer moms are out there buying minivans, can we go back and like look at our CM CRM data, look at our sales data, look at our our digital data via Google Analytics, and do we see the fact that it's only women of a certain age who are moms in the suburbs buying this? Or is there this separate persona that that's out there buying this as a alternative to buying like a, a cargo van or something like that? You know what? That brings up an excellent point because I have a brother-in-law in the trades. He's a, he's a painter. He does like commercial painting and house painting and all this kind of residential and all that kind of stuff. He drives minivans. Right, exactly. And that like secretly within the, the minivan market, there's this B2B or this like small entrepreneur B2B focus on yeah. the minivan because huh. it's, it's that same car that you own for both of those. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it is kind of that perfect hybrid, and you really never think of that. You don't think of, hey, you know what? I, I'm a I'm a solopreneur. I'm a I'm a sole proprietor. I got a painting business, or I'm I'm the 
um, w- w- casual handyman or whatever, or w- whatever it is. And I've got a few contracts and I can't, I, I don't necessarily need the, the cargo van and I don't necessarily need, or perhaps maybe if can afford the decked out F one fifty um, to, to look cool in, but I need something that's economical and I need something that's got space, boom, fold the seats down and away you go. And you're getting something for $25,000 less than, than what you'd be spending if you had to get a truck. Exactly. And now you're saving that insurance and all of this stuff because you're still in that small, you're still in that small market for a personal vehicle, but you also have different intentions for why you're buying a minivan that isn't specifically because I have kids. It's this, I'm using this to make money. Great point. Because for me as a salesperson, I'd rather close 80% of a smaller market <laughs> Oh yeah, than 2.4% of... Yeah. And that's the kind of... Those are, the, those are those specific aha moments for people that like you introduce that, that small market of whether or not that's, that's minivans for that audience or whether or not that's, hey, ad, no one else in the space is particularly advertising... Um, a particular maker model. I'll again drop the Nissan NV200. Like it's a very specific yeah. thing, and it, you're not going to get thousands of people to your lot jazzed about this particular utility vehicle. But those people who are out there searching for it won't. They're likely specifically searching for it, right? Totally. If you own that, maybe you don't sell as many like mid-sized cars that that month but if you sell a shit if you sell a bunch of uh it's okay. utility vans, i'm not cutting that out <laughs> oh right. i mean we can edit everything in post right <laughs> no i'm keeping yeah well it and it's a good point it's and undoubtedly there's somebody somebody's listening that's like aha Cirillo's an idiot. He just said he'd rather sell 80% of a smaller market than 2.5% of the masses. And they think, yeah, but 2.5% on the masses is could be potentially a bigger number. And where I'm going with that is, yeah, but you're not going to get as many referrals and and awareness is definitely not as heightened as it is in those smaller niches, right? Like the the niche of um, painters being, mm-hmm. who are all working these jobs and they see each other and they're like, Oh man, he just got a new van. Like the, the awareness is heightened and then they start looking into it. And then the next person starts looking into it and on and on and on and on. Um, y- y- and you know, and, and you become the guy. Have, yeah. All of a sudden you have painters on your lot looking at, at product and now you don't have an empty lot. Yeah, and now exactly. that suddenly becomes this larger appeal to, to a mass market that you don't need to pay thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to show up and compete with cars.com, but you just need to own some kind of market and be sustainable in this online offline world. Yeah. It, you know, the, the overall message for me, you know, as I listen to you and, and as we have this conversation is you got to start at the beginning, you can't make it to the end unless you start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so many people, when it comes to digital ads, they're, they're wanting to start at the end result and they're spending like, it's crazy to me. There's dealers spending 15 K a month to buy leads. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just, some of them are spending more than that. Some of the bigger dealer groups, I mean, 60, 70, a hundred thousand dollars a month buying leads when, you know, for fraction of that, they could be driving in the right audience and understanding that funnel. And so I'm a huge advocate for taking taking the time. But this brings me to my my next and perhaps final question here. Um, 
I've got LinkedIn up on a screen in front of me right now. And, oh, okay. it, and it doesn't have to be LinkedIn. It could be Google. It could be whatever. And I see a local, the irony of this, a local GMC dealer advertising the OEM, the manufacturer ad. My my philosophy on this is, okay, the, the OEMs have spent millions of dollars on marketing. They're spending millions of dollars to push this out nationwide. Um, and then you, the local dealer, rather than differentiating yourself or maybe taking a spin on that message or, or like we've talked about, figuring out who the segment actually is here, you just spend more money out of your own pocket, even though they've already done it, to advertise the exact same thing. Yes or no? <laughs> Yeah, abs- sorry, absolutely not. Um, I've I've seen that. I still don't fully understand it because it's one of those things like people people are going to ex- be exposed to car ads anywhere. Like for I I recently just bought a car. I, I didn't have a car for a period of time. I still saw a bunch of car ads, and it honestly gets tiring. Yeah. Um, that that is not that is not the thing that we are all asking for. Um, and the service you provide isn't necessarily a car, it's connecting people to that car. So let the OEMs do that that heavy lifting of telling me for why I should buy a Juke or why I should buy whatever. Um, but where you can really benefit from is by positioning yourselves immediately after that OEM. That if you know that, you know, those OEMs are going to go out, they're going to release their 2019 line position yourselves you can like advertise um you can on youtube you can advertise immediately on their channels so that someone who is searching for 2019 line make models you can begin to advertise your dealership as a provider of those makes and models Mm. and now these people who are actively out there searching for it you can already piggyback off of this very expensive marketing campaign if that like hope most of us aren't going to compete with right and we can just like come in here with our our very honest ads that come through and say hey you're looking for this we got them on stock here's financing or set up an appointment today or whatever call to action you want to put there and now you can hit them you can just piggyback off that existing marketing that these oems are putting out there yeah, brilliant. So, so don't do exactly what they're doing. Take take some sort of local spin, and and you know, even what you just said there, huge thing, right? Because I mean, obviously, people are going to go to a car dealer website. They want to see what's in stock. So, promoting the fact that what they saw on television that that new Silverado, that new Sierra, that new F one for whatever it is, mm-hmm. promoting the fact that hey, yes, we have these in stock right now. We have fifteen of these in stock right now.